one thing that I got really good at was sharing my goals with every client so that they knew what I was working towards. I wasn't just working for the money. You know, look, I wanted to go crush all these records and make a name for myself. And so when you start to share those aspects of yourself with people, they grapple onto it. And it becomes almost a, a goal for them to cheer on and to champion as well. Tyler Cobble has achieved many prodigious goals in his short professional career. By sharing his ambitions and his achievements with his clients, Tyler has been able to create an image of himself as someone who gets things done. Eventually, a real estate developer sought out Tyler for a role with his organization, and Tyler has been able to parlay that role into tremendous professional success, including the achievement of a $1 million net worth by the age of 27. If you're ready to hear some insights on how you can get on the fast track to success in your work, you'll get just that from the remarkable Tyler Cobble. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We always love having younger guests on the podcast, and today we have 27-year-old Tyler Cobble, who is on a fast track to success. He started in Cutco in 2011, and he sold 21000 in his fast start, which is a rep's first 10 days in the company. He also broke his region record for a push period that summer, sold over $84,000 in three months in the summer, and then went off to school at University of Tennessee. Uh, came back in December, sold more, was over 108000 by the end of the year. So in just over six months, was one of the top new reps in the entire company when he first started. Spent a summer in management with the company as well, and was ultimately recruited into the commercial real estate field in which he has had tremendous success. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about some of the things that he's been able to accomplish and how he's been able to parlay that into some great financial success. And so I'm really excited to be able to have him on the podcast today. Tyler Cobble, thanks so much for making time. Yeah, thank you so much, Dan. It's great to be on a podcast with the legendary Dan Cassetta. Appreciate you having me. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate hearing that as well. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how you first got started with Vector. So it's 2011, Nashville, Tennessee. Tell us a little bit about it. That's right. So I just graduated from high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do that summer. I had grown up working in construction for my grandfather every summer and and I had kind of gotten to a point where I didn't really want to do that physical labor anymore. And my neighbor, Clay Looney, had actually sold Cutco to my mom when we were probably in middle school. 
So I grew up using Cutco. I knew that he'd done really well with it, made a lot of money. So I said, you know what? I'm going to give this Cutco thing a, a shot. So I walked in, applied, and, and the rest is history. Wow, that's cool. And this was in Dave Powder's division pilot office at the time? That's right. Yep. I was fortunate enough to be working with Dave Powders and Andrew Smallwood, who made all the difference in the world, coaching me to, to everything I did. Yeah, awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about some of the experiences that stand out from that summer. Absolutely. So when I was going through training, I saw the fast start record on the wall of $16,000. And I just thought, wow, I can't believe these guys made, you know, however much money that ended up being. And, and in 10 days, I want to go out and beat that. So I took the contacts aspect of, of the training very seriously, put together as many contacts as I could. and actually ended up having 52 appointments uh, in my first 10 days. Wow. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, I wanted to win every single prize that there was and I wanted to beat the record. So, so we ended up doing 52 appointments in your first 10 days and you wound up at uh, a little over 21,000, almost $22,000 in sales. Yes, sir. For those first 10 days. Wow. It was, it was a fast start for sure. Yeah, that uh, is immense. What helped you do so well on those 52 appointments? Honestly, I just listened to, to Andrew and Dave. I mean, they told me, look, if you, if you book more appointments than anybody else, you're going to beat everybody else. And so I took that very seriously. Every time I had an appointment cancel, I would hop back on the phone and book another one. It just kept doing everything that I possibly could to keep my calendar full. I mean, 52 appointments in 10 days, that's a lot of appointments. Yeah, that is. Do you recall like how many of those 52 people did not buy anything? Oh, gosh. I think one person. <laughs> I think I went three or four days into my fast start without having a no sale. And so, you know, Andrew and uh, Dave were kind of like, I don't know really what's going on, but this isn't normal. And so I got my first no sale and it was devastating. I was like, no. <laughs> but the next one, you know, I think ended up buying like an ultimate. So it was, it was a good 10 days. You know, one of the things I think is great about Cutco is that we provide people with an opportunity to have a lot of success experiences. And that really builds confidence, you know, because the product is so good, more often than not, people buy. One of the things I think that's challenging about that is I do think that for some people, it gives them a sort of warped point of view about what sure. things are like in the real world. And, and I know you'll be able to describe a lot of the challenges in getting into commercial real estate and that it's hard and that there's a lot of uh, rejection and, you know, that, that you have to put up with to be able to be successful. And uh, at least in Cutco, we give people a small taste of that rejection, but it's it's, right. fu it's funny to hear that you were like fifty one for fifty two in your <laughs> your fast start. That's uh, pretty crazy. That um, was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. So, how about after that? Rest of the summer, what else stands out from your experience with the company? Yeah. So, right after my fast start, we had basically a week off, and then it was SE two. So, we had been talking about SE two and and our strategy for that. And Andrew and Dave were like, "Look, just take this week calm. Set a bunch of appointments for next week." You know, just kind of, kind of go easy because you just went as hard as you could for the last two. So I think I ended up selling like eight thousand dollars that week. So <laughs> you know, so much for taking it easy. I mean, compared to what it, you know, twenty five thousand dollars a week the week before, it was, it was pretty slow for me. So I booked as many appointments as I could for SC two, and I think I would have to. I wish I'd called Andrew and discussed everything with him because he was there with me every step of the way. But I think that first week of SC two, I didn't even sell ten thousand dollars. It was just appointment after appointment got canceled, or you know, it was a no sale, or it was a small sale, and I was freaking out because you know we had this big goal of uh, the SC two record at the time was thirty six thousand. I wanted to get forty, and 
you know, we were like, I mean, Dave sat me down. He goes, Tyler, I think we may need to readjust your goal. You know, you're, you're sitting at about 10,000, you know, seven or eight days into it. I was like, I don't, yeah, you're probably right. Maybe we do. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was, it was so just crazy. But one thing that Andrew always said was every no is that much closer to a yes. And, and I, I literally called them after every single appointment because I kind of needed that, like either grounding because I sold something big or I needed that lift up because I had a no sale or something small. And so, you know, we were, I was in constant communication with them. And, and so those guys really helped me keep on track. And I ended up selling thirty or $40,000 the next week. And then I sold several thousand dollars on the way to SC2. And so we didn't know what the, the final tally was until we pulled up. I mean, I think I had orders coming in like right before the awards ceremony. And it ended up being over 52000 Wow. So a 10K first week for the push, which uh, by the way, SC2 for anyone that doesn't remember or isn't part of Cutco is a big two week, maybe two week plus two week and one day, two week and two day contest that happens tail end of the summer in, in uh, most areas of the company. And it's sort of viewed as like the Super Bowl of Vector where everybody goes all out, tries to bring their best to the uh, table for a couple of weeks. So the record for your region was 36,000. 10,000 in the first week is a, it's a great job. I mean, it's huge. 10,000 for the two weeks is still a pretty good milestone for most people. But 10,000 for the first week is not that great if your goal is 40,000 right. for the push. So to go from 10,000 to then end up at 52,000 when it was all said and done, you know, it, nine days or so later is really immense. So what made the difference in the second week? Momentum. I had just gotten to a point where everybody who was rescheduling in the first week, all of those appointments were lining up. I was doing eight to 10, sometimes 12 appointments a day. And I think literally the last two days, I sold another 10 or 12,000. I mean, it was wow. the last two days of the push where it just it made the world a difference. I think that's a great lesson about Vector and selling Cutco. I think that's a great lesson about life is the power of momentum. My division manager used to say something along the lines of, you know, there are a lot of things that you'll do where you won't get paid for it. But then later on, you're going to get paid a lot more because of the effort you put in in those early, you know, those early experiences. And, and I think that really does apply to so many things in life is that uh, momentum builds up and builds up. And eventually you hit this sort of tipping point where it all starts falling into place. And the reality is most people never get past that tipping point. And so they're always frustrated that they're not getting, you know, the results that they want to get. And in whatever it is that you're doing in life, you have to make sure that you get past that tipping point where that momentum all of a sudden starts coming to harvest for you and uh, you get to have those results that you want. So it's cool to hear that that's what happened for you during that push period. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, uh, it was all, you know, one of the other things that we were thinking about going into it was, you know, my fast start, I had done so well. But 52 people, I'd kind of gone through everyone I knew. When we were going into SC2, we were like, okay, every single appointment that I have is a second or a third tier referral. None of these people know me. And I think it took me a minute to adjust to, to that kind of sale. But uh, luckily, I wasn't a one-hit wonder. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Nice. Well, it's great that you made the adjustment and did well. What do you think are some of your keys to being such a top performer during your time at Cutco? You know, I, I just genuinely love working and working hard. You know, I was always one of the earliest guys to the office and I would stay the latest outside of, of Andrew Smallwood, of course, because he was there with me, you know, every step of the way. 
you know, we would get there early and I'd be the first one on the phones, uh, hammering away, setting up appointments. I pretty much just didn't give myself any downtime. Anytime uh-huh. I had time in between appointments, I was making phone calls and just setting up, uh, setting up more appointments. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, you come from, you know, working in, in construction where you're taking a sledgehammer to, to old bathtubs and tile showers and doing demo work to getting to sit in a nice office and make phone calls. You're like, man, I'm going to take advantage of this. You know? <laughs> and then you, and then you get that first paycheck, that first comma check. You're like, man, I'm really going to take advantage of this. <laughs> nice. Nice. So developing your work ethic was definitely something that happened through your vector experience. And, and uh, it's good to hear that. I, I do think that for anybody who's particularly young, who's listening, that pushing the envelope as far as work ethic goes will help expand your capacity to be able to do all the things you're going to have to do later on in life. One day, Tyler, you may have a family and have kids and have a lot of other responsibilities. And there will be a lot of other things that you'll have to balance. And the fact that you worked hard in a, you know, in your Cutco job, and I'm sure you have in your current role as well, it makes a really big difference in being able to figure out how to strike that balance when you have a bunch of other things you got to do as well. Right. So it's cool to hear that you've been able to do that. So then you were an assistant manager for a summer with the company. Ultimately, you ended up getting recruited into the commercial real estate business. How did you get into that? I did. So a boutique developer uh, had heard that I was back in town. I had dropped out of college because uh, when I went to UT... My income tag. So I, I ended up getting bored and moved back to Nashville. And uh, this developer, I had actually sold him a Homemaker Plus 8 for his beach house uh, down in Florida. And so he had known me from that. And, you know, again, heard of that. I was back in town. He just reached out and said, Hey, look, you know, I want you to come work for us. We've had our shopping centers listed with some national groups and we don't feel that they are paying as much attention to them as, as somebody like you would. So we're going to pay for you to get your real estate license and, and give you these listings. So wow. they kind of trained me on commercial real estate. Wow. So this guy like completely singled you out and said, that's the guy I want right, right. there. So oh, absolutely. Wow. Well, that speaks to the power of the relationships that reps are building on their Cutco demos and the impression that you're making on people in terms of, you know, who you are and what you could offer to them in, in, uh, in, in, you know, the, the uh, roles that they have in, in their work. So that's, that's awesome to hear. Incredible. Yes, it, it's so true. I mean, it, you know, one thing that I got really good at was sharing my goals with every client so that they knew what I was working towards. I wasn't just working for the money, you know, look, I wanted to go crush you know, all these records and make a name for myself. And so when you start to share those aspects of yourself with people, they, they grapple onto it and it becomes almost a, a goal for them to, to cheer on and, and to champion as well. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about sharing goals with our Cutco reps and, and the importance of doing that and how it just gets the customer on your side. We don't want customers to buy just because, you know, we want to hit a goal, but we want customers to see that we are ambitious and motivated and inspired and you know the things that not every 19 year old is in the world that we're unique and different in that way and that aspect of setting ourselves apart as young people right as young cutco reps is what helps people realize like hey this is a really unique and special person this is somebody i would want to have in my company and i'm sure that's a big part of why you were recruited Uh, and then you know when you share with customers that you're hitting your goals 
it shows them that you are an achiever. And I'm sure that you probably, you know, notified a lot of your good customers when you broke a record or sent them a thank you or something like that. And people knew what you were doing. So they're like, man, that guy not only has big aspirations and works hard, but gets the job done also. So it's pretty cool that the impression you were able to make on people through that way. Definitely. And, and, you know, thinking bigger was, was the best part of that. I mean, because I had come out in my fast start and did everything I did, I won a signature set from, you know, hitting the top tier of that. And I walked into every appointment with a signature set. You know, most people that were reps, you know, they, they struggled with, gosh, I, you know, who can afford a thousand dollar knife set? Who wants to buy a homemaker plus eight? And here I am walking into these appointments with, you know, the second biggest knife set, setting it down on the counter and say, I bring this around because this is the one that I sell the most of. This is what my clients love. If you want the starter set, that's the homemaker. <laughs> uh, you, you know, if you're an advanced chef, that's, that's the ultimate. And so I just, I thought that much bigger. So, you know, coaching and, and my mentors in the process, they, they really helped me unlock that. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. What have been some of your success factors in the, your current role in commercial real estate? Yeah. So basically just career milestones. You know, about two years into the, into the job, I, I had leased up all of the product that, that that company had been struggling to fill. Realized I worked myself out of a job. So I put together a development deal. They were developing a lot of townhomes. So I think I was 24, 25. Uh, put together a 42-unit townhome development uh, in a suburb just south of Nashville with them. And then about four and a half years into it, launched uh, my book, Open for Business, uh, The Insider's Guide to Leasing Commercial Real Estate. Got featured in Forbes for Instagram and said, you know what? It's time for me to go start my own gig. So in February of 2018, I started my own commercial real estate brokerage as the youngest commercial real estate broker in Nashville. And then shortly thereafter, started started buying buildings and taking advantage of all the offerings that I was giving to my investors previously. Mm-hmm. That's cool. How did this all come together for you? Like, How did you learn so fast how to do commercial real estate? So I'm, uh, I'm very much a self-starter. You know, After they paid for me to get my real estate license, I said, okay, how do I do this? And they said, go find us a tenant and we'll show you how to get it done. So I had no idea what I was doing. I was just going out and knocking on doors and trying to get people to lease commercial real estate. So learned from there, uh, read every book that I could get my hands on, listen to every podcast. I mean, I think the only thing I did for months in my car was listen to every podcast on commercial real estate, on sales, on being a you know broker, and uh, just hit the pavement to learn as much as I possibly could. I asked questions, never tried to pretend like I knew something that I didn't because you know people always appreciate the honesty there. And I mean, that's, that's really it. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I just work harder than everyone. Yeah. Well, I think that's good for people to hear that uh, that's a big part of what it takes. So let's connect the dots a little bit more between selling Cutco and what you're doing now. And uh, just some of the things that you feel like are universal traits that apply to Cutco, apply to what you're doing now, apply to other fields as well. We've talked about work ethic being one of them. What else do you feel stands out as some of the universal traits for success in business? So I think interpersonal skills, for one, being able to just communicate with people and not feel like a robot or read off a script. You know, all the scripts that we were given in Cutco were phenomenal skeletons, but I expounded upon that and made them my own. And I think that's very important to do as a sales rep. You know, you, you got to learn, you got to get your outline, and you got to add your flavor to it because that's, that's what everybody wants to know. They, they want to have a human conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I think interpersonal skills are, are very important. Product knowledge having more knowledge of your product than anybody else in the market. Of course, that makes you an expert. And people want to rely on experts to, to help them make decisions when they don't know as much about something. I think that having faith in your product, no matter what you're selling, 
if you don't believe in your own product, if it's not something that you would use, that you would love, that would you know make your life better, uh, it's going to be really tough to sell. And so I've never, and I never will sell anything that I don't believe in, because it people can kind of tell. You know, it's just it's it's a tougher sale. Being able to, you know, get to the office earlier and leave later than everybody else, and not be afraid to to hit the phones and and make the ask. You know, because at the end of the day, somebody just says no. That's fine. You hang up. You call them a week later. You know, in the meantime, you call a whole bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a we've got an agent in my office who I've kind of I've helped train him on that philosophy. He's had people cuss him out and you know send him text messages threatening him uh, if he ever calls back again. And he's he's so kind. He calls back. He's like, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to upset you. You know, please let me make it up. You know, he's had these people invite him back over for coffee after they sent him text messages cussing him out. You know, it's it's amazing. So it works. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. You'd certainly have to have the courage to do things that a lot of other people won't do if you want to achieve success that a lot of other people don't have. And uh, that's a that's a pretty good example of being willing to sort of reopen that door. And this is not to say to, you know, be a jerk to people or, right. you know, like, uh, you know, overdo it. But, you know, the example you just gave of where he calls up apologizing and then turns that into, you know, a, a sit down for coffee. And then that winds up being uh, the seeds of a relationship that winds up being a deal exactly. down the road. Like that's a, that's a great example. So and we're, we're working on a listing because of that now, you know, and that's, that's massive. Yeah. Uh, you never know what kind of situation somebody's in when you're calling them. And I feel like so many people take a no personally when it's, you know, hey, maybe, maybe my kid's in the hospital and he's got the flu and I, I just don't have time to take care of this right now. No, don't call me again. You know, I mean, that, that stuff happens all the time. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's nothing personal. Exactly. Exactly. I, I love what you said about product knowledge and becoming an expert becoming an expert at what you're doing. And you said something along the lines of, you know, people rely on experts to help them make decisions when they don't have, you know, all the knowledge themselves. And you also said something a little bit earlier along the lines of, I never pretended to know something I didn't know, right? I would always ask questions and learn. And when I think about my experience as a consumer, in the marketplace, whether it be a consumer of a product or an investor in something where I have to be able to make a decision if I want to shell out my dollars. There's a lot of times where I don't fully understand all of the inside and outs of the situation. There's a lot of times in purchasing a product where I don't necessarily truly understand the difference between this one and that one. And I rely on that person who is the expert the person who's selling the product or the person who's promoting the investment. I rely on that person and I look at, first of all, what type of relationship do I have? Do I trust them? And then I also look at, right, what's my perception of how competent this person is? Are they really an expert in their field? I was just, you know, looking at an opportunity to make an investment and it was something completely new that I'd never done before. And I was telling somebody that I know who I really respect who the person is that was kind of leading this project. And he responded like, whoa, it's that guy? Like, that's the kind of guy that's you want to make that's sure the reaction you, follow, you want. Right? Yeah. That's the kind of guy you want to follow. And I just remember thinking like, okay, I already felt that way about this guy. If he feels this way, like that's probably a place that I want to get involved 
at least at some level. And so how well are you viewed as an expert in what you're doing? I think that's a great question for people to ponder, to be able to think about how you can take your game to the top level in whatever field you're in, right? Becoming an expert. That's a great, great point. I think it's very important. I mean, you do everything that you can, you know, thanks to, you know, social media, it's very easy to start labeling yourself as that expert. You just share knowledge. I utilized Instagram to, to really get to my expert status and then wrote a book that hit bestseller. And that helps so much. You may not know me, but if you found me on Instagram or if you've seen the book somewhere, you automatically know, okay, well, this guy couldn't have written a book if he doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to leasing. Here he is on social media. Everybody's interacting with him, all these businesses that he's worked with. I mean, it's basically a, a new business card. So yeah, I mean, being the expert, it's really important. You know, when I'm going in and buying a building, I've looked at hundreds of commercial buildings. I still bring an inspector in because I don't know everything and I don't have all the tools and I don't have all the knowledge and you have to rely on those people. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Great stuff. Great stuff. So I, I heard from a mutual friend of ours that uh, you were able to celebrate a nice milestone here recently yeah. and that that milestone was achieving a million dollar net worth. You're only 27. I'm not afraid to say that it took me longer than age 27 to achieve my first million dollar <laughs> net worth, FYI. And it takes almost everybody longer to get to that point. It, it's an accumulation that happens and um, you know, it's not necessarily an easy thing. But once you get to a million, the second million comes a lot more quickly and it, it begins to really escalate after that. So you're on a great track in your financial life already. Tell us a little bit about that process of getting to a million dollar net worth. So I spent uh, really about five, five and a half years learning everything that I could about commercial real estate and learning how to underwrite deals. And I, was, I kept bringing them to these investors. And you know, at some point, you start looking at, at yourself as a commercial real estate broker and you go, man, I'm making 3 to 6% of this deal. These guys are taking home everything, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we were doing sales where guys had bought property for $500,000. We're selling them for two million. I get a sixty thousand dollar commission. He makes a million and a half dollars. I'm going. What? What am I? Do? I'm on the wrong side, man. I gotta. I gotta fix this. <laughs> so I had gotten to a point where I was like, okay, you know what? Clearly, based on on my track record, I have a nose for a good deal. The next deal that comes up, I'm gonna get it under contract and I'm gonna approach some investors about it. And so that's what I did. Being in sales, you get taxed really high. You have so many expenses as a business owner. You really don't make nearly as much money as you think you do as to when you own commercial real estate. You mm -hmm. get taxed passively. You don't have to work. You get paid while you're sleeping. So commercial real estate is a very attractive investment. And I went and found a deal. And the first two guys that I pitched it to both gave me $50,000 each. And they said, absolutely. We don't even need to see the building. We just know you and your track record. Uh, go make it happen. I said, you sure you guys don't want to go see the building first? Like, this is the first time I've done this. I go, nope, no, we trust you. Go, have at it. I said, okay. <laughs> so it was, uh, that was very nerve wracking. But, uh, you know, that was, that was in February. We've got a pharmacy in that building now. Uh, it's doing phenomenally well. It's in an up and coming neighborhood. And it wasn't, uh, it's five and a half years to, to buy my first building. It took me four months to buy two more. And then another four months later, I bought another one. So it was kind of one of those think bigger moments where once you just learn how to do it and you have the guts to, to do it, you realize how easy it actually is. Yeah. 
So if somebody's listening and they're not in your business, they're, you know, they have some other business they're doing, but they've, you know, begun saving and investing and they've got some dollars laying around that they could do something with. What, what are some steps you might suggest of how they could uh, get into some deals? Uh, get into commercial real estate deals or get into any kind of deals, investments? Uh, really any kind. What comes go to find, your mind? Go find an expert. Go find the guy that's absolutely crushing it in that field. I mean, that's what I did. You know, when I wanted to learn and get better at business, I went and joined Hal Elrod's Mastermind. Everybody in there was an author. So guess who became an author? I did. Yeah. Because I was, I was just surrounded by those people. So I surrounded myself with experts. So whatever you're looking to invest in or whatever you're looking to be the greatest at, go find someone that can show you how to do it. Because a mentor or somebody like that that you're investing with can put you on the fast track and you'll cut ahead years. Yeah. That sounds like a good good plan. And then also, are you an advocate of pushing the envelope as far as risk goes with the amount that you have to invest? Are you an a- advocate of you know, uh, like these guys that put in fifty thousand? Did, did they have five hundred thousand in their account that they could play with, and so they took one tenth of that and put it into your deal? You know, or was fifty thousand everything they had to be able to try right. to do something with? Like, well, where do you stand on that side of things? So I certainly didn't uh, didn't approach people that I thought would be struggling to come up with that money. Uh, one was a doctor, the other one was a developer. So you know they both had plenty of money sitting around. That doesn't make it any less easier on on me in terms of playing with somebody else's money. I am I'm not risk averse. I, I will take I'll take the leap and I'll figure it out while I'm falling how I'm going to catch myself because I've I've got that much faith in myself and my processes. And my work ethic to know, look, if this goes 180 degrees from what I thought it was going to, I'll figure out a way to write this. Uh, and I will. And I've told investors that. I said, you know, look, you know, on, on newer projects where we don't necessarily have a track record in that field, I'll show them, you know, my, my track record of, of other successful deals. And I'll say, look, you know, at the end of the day, it's a real estate deal. Your money's not guaranteed. We could all lose everything. But for us to all lose everything, you know, the world's going to have to be on fire. If, if something messes up, it may take me a couple more years to get you your money back, but I will get you your money back. And everybody knows that I genuinely mean that when I say it. So I think that that's very important. Mm-hmm. You're going to be taking other people's money on an investment. You've got to be willing to, to lose it all to give it back to them. Yeah. And, and honestly, investing in something that's a, a tangible asset like real estate is the, the risk level is a lot different than if somebody's investing into a startup company or right. something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about real estate, you could drive by it every day. You know, I like to have a number of different investors in my deals because it just it creates synergy. You know, people know people. They start telling people, oh, well, we just bought this office building. Somebody will go, oh, I'm looking to lease some office space. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of synergy that comes with that. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, what other advice would you have for young people who uh, aspire to have some of the same success that you've already achieved? So I think getting up early and finding something that you're passionate about that makes you get up that early and, and just working harder than anybody else uh, to make it happen. You know, if you don't have the work ethic, it doesn't matter. And if you're not passionate about it, it also doesn't matter. You're never going to be great. You know, the other thing that I would say is, is make the ask. Don't be afraid to, to ask for what you want. You know, whether, whether you're raising money for a charity, you're asking for the sale, you know, you're asking that girl out. It doesn't matter. Make the ask because the worst that they can say is no and you move on to the next one. Yeah. And the more that you get used to asking, the easier it becomes, the easier it is to take the nose. But you also realize that a lot of times the things you were afraid of happening 
really were just figments of your imagination. And it is truly amazing how often we, we get what we want when we are good at our presentation skills and when we ask uh, with the right level of confidence. I 100% agree with that. I mean, a, a, a trick that I learned actually while I was on the phones at Cutco was just assume the ask. Don't wonder if they're going to say yes or no. Assume that they're going to say yes and then base it off of that. I'd say, you know, so Mrs. Jones, does Tuesday at 9 a.m. Or, or Wednesday at 3 p.m. work better for you? Right. You, know, you, you kind of give them two options and they're both yeses and the chances of them picking one is pretty good. Yep, exactly. Nice, nice. Well, Tyler, this has been great. I think uh, people are going to get a lot of good stuff uh, from your ideas and just from hearing you and your confidence and uh, you know what uh, the persona that you bring. I think uh, is a, is a great example of people to be able to learn from. As you look into the future, uh, how do you feel you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? So, being a Nashville native, obviously, commercial real estate is is very impactful upon my life, my neighbors' lives, the city's lives, tourists, everyone. So, it's it's fun to get to be a part of that. We're essentially building Nashville. So, right where I am right now. Five years ago, you wouldn't come down the street. One of my buddies put a really cool coffee shop next door, and that, that changed everything. People started coming over here. The neighborhood started changing. He took something that was a vacant, decrepit building, put a really cool coffee shop in there, and now it's a meeting place. Mm-hmm. People are meeting each other for the first time. They're getting coffee. They're working. It's, it, it's a, he brought new life to this property. And I love that we get to do that in commercial real estate. It's, it's, it's neat to see how the built environment truly does impact everyone's day-to-day lives. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. It's great to hear that you have that pride in your city. I've been there. I think Nashville is a really cool place. It's an awesome spot. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it's cool to know that uh, you're helping to build it. You're helping to transform it and that uh, you're going to be known as uh, you know, one of the great developers of Nashville down the road, I'm sure. So if you're not already, so <laughs> certainly hope so. Uh, yeah. That's cool that you're making a name for yourself and, uh, I'm grateful that uh, you, you credit Cutco with some of your, your early skills and experiences that have helped you to get to where you are. And uh, you know, thanks very much for making time to be on the podcast today, Tyler. Absolutely. Dan, appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for having me. Give me a call next time you're in Nashville. All right, will do. All right, man. See you. Tyler Cobble, everyone. That is a confident and dynamic young man. Great to see the success that he has already achieved. Uh, the lesson about momentum was a really valuable one where in that two week sales contest, his goal was to sell 40,000. He sold 10,000 the first week, but then it got to 52,000 altogether by the end of the contest as the momentum built and he hit a tipping point where everything started falling into place. There's a great lesson in that as it applies to success in both Cutco Vector and in business in general about making sure that uh, we get us ourselves to that tipping point. And what it takes to get to that point oftentimes is a high energy, a high level of effort on the front end. It's a lot of effort on the front end. The old analogy of priming the pump that Zig Ziglar used to share many years ago, those old time water pumps where you're pumping the arm and pumping the arm and nothing's coming out. And then all of a sudden the water just starts flowing. And all you got to do then is slowly continue pumping that arm and the water keeps flowing out. That is a really relevant lesson for business and for life. Tyler talked about the interpersonal skills that it takes to be successful in business. And, uh, you know, we all have a chance to practice that on a regular basis. uh, If you're a rep in Cutco, 
the importance of product knowledge, becoming an expert. That was really key and being willing to make the ask. Great lessons. You know, Tyler Cobble exhibits a high level of self-confidence. And I just wanted to take a couple extra minutes to end this episode today with some thoughts on where confidence comes from. I think that one of the first places that confidence comes from is from learning. Every new skill that you gain makes you feel better about yourself and makes you feel more confident that you can take on the challenges of the world. And so I think it's so important to be seeking out opportunities to learn. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, think about what your peers are doing in this very minute right now, right? Most of your peers are probably not engaging in a learning opportunity at this exact minute. And as you look into the future, right, the great opportunities that are out there will probably get outpaced by the number of people who want to have those opportunities. And the ones that are going to get the best opportunities are the ones who are most prepared and most highly skilled. Learning is a big key to building confidence. Being part of a supportive environment is also a big key to building confidence. And it's very important to surround yourself with people who are encouraging you and are helping you. Finding that network, finding that mastermind, finding that group that can help you. Tyler had that in Vector. He got into Hal Elrod's mastermind after Vector, and he kept himself around supportive, encouraging people, and that's critical for success. Another place that confidence comes from, very simply, is success experiences. When you dwell at something, when you succeed, when you make a sale, when you achieve a goal, all of these things add layers onto your self-confidence. And so it is very important to set and achieve lots of small goals. I would encourage all of you uh, that are in Vector to have weekly goals that you're working towards. Of course, you know, goals for the, the uh, month, the campaign, the year uh, are important, but small, regular goals that you, that you achieve on a regular basis, that's a key to building confidence, setting and achieving a lot of small goals. You also build a lot of confidence when you overcome challenges because Obstacles force us to be resilient and to find new ways to succeed. If everything's easy, you don't grow in confidence as much as when you have some challenges along the way and those goals become difficult but achievable. And you'll find that sweet spot of setting the right goals that push you and stretch you, but that you can achieve and that you do achieve on a regular basis. That's the balance that you want to learn to find. And I'll say last that you really build a lot of confidence when you know that people respect and admire you. When you know that other people around you respect and admire you, it really helps to solidify that identity you have of yourself as an achiever, as someone who's great, as someone who gets things done, achieves success. And I would just encourage you to think about this today as we end this podcast. What do people respect and admire about you? What do you respect and admire about Tyler Cobble, having listened to him here, you know, over this last 30 minutes or so. I believe that Tyler Cobble has earned respect. He earned it during his days in Vector, and he has earned it in his current career. It's clear in the faith that other people have shown in him to give him an opportunity to invest in his deals, right? That he has earned respect and admiration from other people. How about you? Think about that as you move forward here. 
As always, I ask that you share this podcast with others who might benefit from the experiences of all the great people who got their start in business by selling Cutco. If you haven't already done so, take a second right now to tap the five rating on your podcast player. And if you really enjoyed this or any other episode of the podcast, take a minute to give us a quick one to two sentence review. Thanks very much for your support, everyone. Those things really help spread the word about the podcast. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.